two, so we all we know that two separate fires uh, ignited uh, uh, in the community of Juniper Ridge in Kamloops last night. An evacuation was ordered, but then rescinded. It's uh, it shows that you you know how we're all now on constant standby with fires raging across B, across BC. What each level of government can do matters. Here's a clip of Prime Minister Trudeau. What we're going to focus on now is working with British Columbia, working with the chiefs, working with partners on ensuring that we're there for the communities in Lytton and across the, the province that are facing difficulty. Uh, Minister Sajjan has been in touch uh, with his, uh, his uh, colleagues out west. Minister Blair has been talking to uh, Minister Farnworth. Uh, we, uh, and I've been talking with Premier Horgan, we will continue to engage directly and uh, prepare to be there to support people. Uh, as necessary, as much as possible. Uh, that's part of what the uh, incident response group meeting is going to be on this afternoon, how we can be there uh, to help. That's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talking about how the federal government will help other levels of government uh, as we head through this fire season that's started up so strongly and in, in, uh, in Lytton, tragically, as we have learned. Joining me now from the local level is Kamloops Councillor Arjun Singh. Hi, hi Arjun, how are you doing? Hi, George. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me. So tell me what happened behind the scenes last night. We know that uh, two locations were evacuated, but then they were turned up and down. We're here and there's another area that's currently an evacuation order in place. What's going on in Kamloops? Uh, no evacuation orders currently, George, as far as I know. We uh, had a, a pretty crazy evening last night with lightning strikes uh, all across our valley. Um, had sort of spot fires in uh, different sort of hillsides. And then uh, we had, you know, a really big scare up in the uh, Ridge Dodge neighborhood in Kamloops. So um, with the extreme heat, I just talked to our fire chief a few, uh, about half an hour ago, with our extreme heat, uh, just the conditions for fires to, uh, you know, move so quickly is, is definitely um, is definitely ripe for that. So mm-hmm. these fires move quickly. They move uh, really uh, quite unpredictably in some ways. Um, luckily, you know, our fire service, the BC Wildfire, and RSMP have been training for this. We were, in fact, training for this uh, very situation a couple of days before. Hmm. Um, had great uh, interagency, you know, communication between Wildfire, our fire service in Kamloops, and the, um, the RCMP and, and other folks in emergency responding. Uh, and uh, luckily, we had kind of a break from Mother Nature with some wind direction, which is favorable, and, uh, and a bit of rain. So, uh, the, uh, there has been no uh, loss of structure and as far as we know, loss of life uh, in, in, in the city uh, from that, which is fantastic news. Um, what is uh, probably very important to say is that uh, our dryness will you know, return within mm-hmm. probably a day or two here, so we're uh, not out of it yet. Yeah, I know. I was up in Kamloops just last weekend, and it was hot, to say the least. Yeah. Um, you know, and these kinds of things, as we saw in Lytton, and tragically in Lytton, um, things, you know, literally 25 minutes to get out of their homes. Obviously, a small town uh, doesn't have the kind of infrastructure that Kamloops has, but uh, do you worry about the speed at which this this happens? And obviously, as a councillor, and I myself have been a councillor, know that uh, how you're, the interaction between the first services and you, and you get this information, you got to make decisions quickly. How does this, you know, from your point of view, worry you when you saw that happening? And is this worse than other years that... It, are you anticipating something worse this year? Yeah, so I mean, you know, we have great emergency services staff, as you know, being a former council of Vancouver. We, uh, as council, kind of just stay out of all the operational decisions and let them do their work. Um, I'm deputy mayor this month. I'm also talking to our mayor right now. He's actually on a quick vacation. Uh, uh, and so, um, 
you know, there's, there's, there's a very centralized structure with these things. And we have, unfortunately, really good experience in BC now with wildfires. So um, I do worry about the, the speed of fires. I think we're all worried about that. And I was talking to the fire chief today, and he was saying, uh, that is, uh, you know, a very, a very much a, a new and, and very difficult factor to deal with. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks uh, in my community now are really thinking hard about, uh, you know, getting the evacuation go bag and the evacuation uh, plans kind of organized, um, you know, figuring out where they would go in case something like this mm-hmm. happens. Um, you know, I, I think that's very prudent. I mean, obviously, we hope no one ever has to use that. Uh, those, those plans and those, those, those evacuation kits, but they are uh, more and more something that we have to really consider very, very carefully as to go through these uh, these summers, you know. And so it's, mm-hmm. I don't know with smoke in uh, Vancouver, it's smoky and canvas right now in a big Is way, it? and Is that right? And that will uh, probably uh, be a factor for a while. So, you know, and I guess the only message just to get out there is that, you know, it's just really important people uh, make sure that they're doing nothing themselves that can cause a a fire right. or a wildfire. It, it's, a, you know, one errant cigarette butt, you know, one mm-hmm. spark from something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can go up so quickly, George. So, you know, Mother Nature is throwing a she, lot at us she, right now. Sure and, is. And uh, we have to be really, really vigilant uh, as we go forward. You've been around Council for quite a long time, and you've been through a few fires in that area. So, you know, in the past, what were those experiences like? And what was you know brings back well, the they're always they're always, they're always tough. I mean now mm-hmm. probably part of part of you know the anxiety kind of starts in, in, in the in the uh, in June about wildfires and what would happen. And you know like the last couple of years we had a uh, a reprieve. Um, mm-hmm. You know obviously it's 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 complicated by the fact that we're still in the pandemic and you know we have to kind of try and follow those uh, those orders. Like finally yesterday at 1, 1 a.m. I got my second vaccination uh, alert so I can get that done. So that's very nice. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the um, it is, I mean, climate change is impacting these things, I think, in a very big way. And, and I think that, you know, the speed and the sort of unpredictability, you know, I, I really got to hand it again to our, our fire service, both wildfire and our local fire services across the province. I mean, they really... Um, are you know meeting the moment in terms of training for this stuff kind of get stuff organized and we as citizens just have to be extremely helpful you know to that cause right mm-hmm. uh and so you know we all have responsibilities here from a you know from an individual perspective from a neighbor's perspective from a community and from you know province and federal government obviously so you yeah. know we're we, as you know local governments on the front lines and we're yeah. you know our we're, we're kind of uh working with our staff um our staff, the ones who are doing all the work, as usually is the case, <laughs> yeah, you uh, and uh, and uh, and we're just uh, you know uh, doing the policy work and trying to talk to uh, people like yourself and send, put messages out there. But it's uh, yeah, I mean it's it's no doubt an anxious time. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, hopefully we get a break and get some nice weather and people can get out and enjoy. But again, enjoy responsibly. Has your home ever been close to a fire where you live? Well, no, I, it, my my personal home. No, yeah. I mean I, we could see the juniper fire from my from my patio yesterday, right? and, my, and it was a massive wall of flames that wow. went up so quickly. And so it was, and if you go to you know Facebook and cameras right now, there's like photos from every vantage point in the valley of of, the, of that particular fire because it was so it was so apparent and noticeable. Um, and then it came down quite quickly, and you know again that's that's a function of. Just the, uh, the, the great wind. folks we have 
working and also the wind and the rain. Yeah, just sort of luck on that one. So, all right, Arjun, thanks very much for joining me today. I appreciate your thoughts, and and uh, we're you know we're thinking about you guys up there and hoping that uh, we can hope for the best up there. Thank you, George. Stay thanks. safe. Have a good day. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett today, and we are following uh, all the fires that are going on across the province for you today here on the show and uh, on CKNW across the, all the shows and uh, on our news. Uh, and uh, it's you know it, we have 127 active fires uh, across BC, 70 new in just the last 24 hours, and they've been it's been a scary 24 hours right across BC. And that what we're hearing as a result of the fires in in Lytton, of course, are devastating. Uh, Kamloops was on the brink of something similar. There's the people were evacuated. Um, a while for a wildfire, uh, two wildfires, I think, there to force temporary evacuation. Joining me now is Chris Foles, editor of Kamloops this week. Hi, Chris. Hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Tell me what happened last night. So, give me what the coverage was for your from your perspective. Well, last night we had a we had a real smoky skies two days ago. Yesterday it cleared up in the afternoon, and it was just a regular clear day. It was Canada Day, so we were kind of relaxing, doing a bit of work, and then. Uh, Right about five forty-five, six o'clock, heard some rumbling, heard some thunders, and right across from my place, I, I faced Strawberry Hill really? Mountain that went up in flames in o three. And I was just looking outside. I was actually getting up from the couch to go grab something, and I saw lightning hit the mountain right right in front of me, and then the smoke come up, and I'm like, oh, that was kind of interesting. And then another lightning strike, and so there's two little fires on the mountain right in, right right across the river from us. Wow. Yeah, from my house, and then so I called the you know the report a wild a wildfire number, uh, mm-hmm. both of them the, on the cell, and and I couldn't get through. It was busy, busy, busy. Oh my god! So um, so I, I I tweeted at BC Wildfire and said, hey, there's a there's a fire starting over here. There's no homes anywhere around. It's on the Tecumloops, uh First Nation band land. Okay. But right after that, man, man, it was like it was like uh, Armageddon. It was it was like from there till eleven, so six to eleven, five hours straight of. In, uh, I've never seen anything like it. Scariest thing in the world: lightning everywhere. And of course, from that storm cell came that big fire on the other side of town in East Campus between Juniper and Valley View. Interface fire in this big gully of uh, grass between the two neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. and that's close to residential areas. Oh yeah, that's that's that's. Uh, if you're going through Camloops and you're going to Salmon Arm, it's the last major uh, major neighborhoods above and below on the right hand side of the freeway as you're going through Camloops. There, um, passing through the main part of town. A lot of people live up there. There's only one way in or out to Juniper, which is up top, which is why there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, evacuation alerts, I a lot see. of uh, snaking cars coming down. Yeah, yeah, because the last thing you want to do is trapped uh, if you can't get out. Um, you see yeah, there's only those, one way in and out. Yeah, yeah, because you see yeah. some of those images coming out of uh, Lytton, and it's, you know, it's, it's and you see the you know in California and Australia, you see all these you know when you see yeah. that kind of situation where you're surrounded by fire. It's I can't imagine. You've been there for how long? Have you been in Kamloops yourself? Came here in 05 from Abbotsford. So you've seen a couple of fires in your time already. Yeah, we've seen a few. We've seen uh, some, some fires. But, you know, we're, we've been pretty lucky in Kamloops. As we, we don't get a lot of fires in Kamloops. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of smoke from the fires from the region around here. Today it's quite smoky from the Sparks Lake fire. And, of course, in 17 and 18, 2017 and 18, it was massively smoky here. We had all the evacuees from Williams Lake and everywhere down here. But the actual wildfires themselves seem to be outside of it. We get the resi- residual effect of it. Your paper, uh, you know, reaches a broader area to a certain degree than just, you know, Kamloops. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're and you're getting uh, that Lytton, uh, people from Lytton have moved up to Kamloops for this week to get away from that fire. Yes. What kind yes. of stories are you hearing uh, from about Lytton? Well, about the, it's just the, the, the sheer terror and... Um and um, and 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 there's no time. There's no time to get out of out of Lytton. There's they're, they're at the evacuation center here, um, MacArthur Island. In fact, it's it's so full that the evacuees yesterday they had no room for them there, so they had to try to find places for them to go. 
uh, it's it's the, the overwhelming sentiment even here, Lytton, and I guess elsewhere is there's just there's no warning. You know, there's four minutes, there's two minutes to get out. All they can grab is what they can grab. Most people we understand as we hear it, they're grabbing two things predominantly. It's it's photo albums mm-hmm. and it's passports, and if they can, some insurance documents, and they're out of there. So it's just, and it's very similar to what happened in Boston, uh, in uh, the Boston Flats trailer court in Ashcroft in 2017 or 18, when we, I was down there greeting the people as they came in, and they were shell shocked because they they were living that trailer court there, and they were showing me photos. They're out there just talking, and then five minutes later, they're running up the road because the flames are right on their heels. Yeah, we heard in Lytton like 25 minutes basically from to get yeah. to when they found out to get out of town, and that is. Yeah. Uh, that is not a lot of time. and uh, There's can- no time to do anything but, but basically just run, right? Have you, in your time and when you're talking to people in that area, has it ever, it seems more tense than usual right now. Is it partly because we've been living through this pandemic and we're just more tense in general, or do you think things are worse than they have been? The big difference this year, remember last year, we've had two years that are pretty good years, like really mm-hmm. not really big fire years. Uh, we had two bad years, mm-hmm. 17, 18. But remember before that, uh, the two of those, that past three years before that, there was no, there was not even a campfire ban. So it's kind of comes and goes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not constant. But when it's bad, it's really bad. But this year, what I think is people are really tense is because it's so early, it's so hot. I mean, mm-hmm. we just set records here right. at 46.4. And it's never been this hot ever, never mind in June. It's never been this hot in June. We just had the second driest spring uh, since, eight, since records began in 1892. It's just, it's just a perfect storm of, mm-hmm. of, of misery. And then you add on the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And then you add on all the, all the, all the problems, the opioid overdose crisis and all the, all the problems on the streets. And it just, it's, just, it's just a melange of just, just, it's just it's scary times right now. And I think most people, are, it's, it's affecting them because it's impacting so many different facets of life right now. All right, Chris, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate your insight, and, and stay, stay safe up there. Thank you. George Affleck uh, in for Jill Bennett today, and uh, just after 1 o'clock here, and this hour we'll be speaking to uh, global reporter Paul Hasem, who is up in Lytton, just outside of Lytton, and we'll get uh, the latest updates from there. Looking at the numbers, uh, since the show started at noon, we've added 10 new active fires. We're up to 137 active fires across BC. So this is a growing problem. So we'll get the latest updates from Paul. And in the second half of the hour, we're going to go to Ross Rabaglietti, who is a former Olympian, and we'll be talking a bit about marijuana and the Olympics. Um, and also, he's got some personal stories related to British Columbia that I think you'll be really uh, interested to hear. So t- stay tuned uh, for that interview and for our interview with Paul Hasen. But first, yesterday we moved into step three, uh, you know, sort of exiting the pandemic. Uh, it was exciting for most of us, but but one industry, uh, much like we heard of the other industry, the restaurant industry, is struggling with the challenge Step 3 ha- has in for them. Ingrid Jarrett is president of British Columbia's Hotel Association, and she joins me now. Hi, Ingrid. Hi there. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Step 3 is it's good news, but it's also bad news for industry. How, how so? Well, it's really good news because for many months we've been looking for a plan, and we've worked really hard hand-in-hand with government and our industry as a whole to figure out how we can, you know, make a a stepped plan that people could uh, deliver and understand. So the good news is we're here now and uh, with the restrictions uh, lifting and no more uh, state of emergency, it means that people are once again traveling, the phones are ringing, so that's all fantastic. Yes, that's great news. The other side of that (laughs) is we don't have enough people to actually work and to come back to work. So we've seen a a huge uh, gap between the number of positions available Mm -hmm. and the number of people that are actually applying and filling those positions. 
So that's a that's a huge challenge. We do have hotels in different destinations that are currently restricting their mm-hmm. occupancy because they literally just do not have the people to uh, to service the people coming in. Which, after suffering for a year financially because of the pandemic, the last thing they want to do is not limit is limit their uh, their revenue source, which is hotel rooms. So where did all the staff go? Well, you know, to your point, 16 months of losses and then not being able to open because of the labor shortage mm-hmm. is heartbreaking indeed. Well, if we think about pre-pandemic, we went into the pandemic with the biggest labor shortage we'd ever had. So there was more than 20,000 jobs that were mm-hmm. left unfilled in 2019 in the tourism and hospitality industry. And then since then, of course, many people with a skill set were um, were moved into the healthcare. Uh, system or into long-term care or Mm. into medical, uh, into technology. You know, many, many different industries actually thrived during the pandemic. Uh, Hospitality certainly didn't Mm -hmm. uh, because we were so restricted. And then, of course, British Columbia is known worldwide as a destination. And young people uh, have access around the world to a working holiday visa. Right. And that allows them two to three years to travel and have fun and mm-hmm. explore. We would normally have thousands of young working holiday visa people here. International students, again, thousands of international students. All of them have been working remotely or mm-hmm. taking classes remotely. Um, and, you know, many people are still working from home. So the circumstance for women uh, working in our industry, many of them don't have access to either child care or support services so that they can get back to work. So, you know, there's a whole layering of reasons and we really need to figure out how to solve this. So I'll just say anybody currently that's unemployed, we'd love you <laughs> to come and enjoy a career in hospitality because we're ready. Did the federal government's programs hurt you as well, the CERB and all those other programs? Is that like that oh, seems to be what's yeah. challenging the restaurant industry? You know, very much so. Very similarly to the restaurant industry, they were fantastic programs. Um, and, you know, the CERB is winding down in August. Um, so, and there are many properties that still need that mm-hmm. um, in order to rehire their workforce. But they have a new program which encourages the hiring of everybody. Um, and so, you know, it's everything. The other part of it is immigration. You know, mm-hmm. for Canada, we normally have somewhere, I think it's between 250,000 to 400,000 new Canadians come every year. And that hasn't been happening n- during the pandemic either. Right. And you mentioned earlier about other countries and those work visas, the student visas, the, they're usually two years. I know there's a lot of Irish people I, I run into, a lot of Australians. Um, yeah. Australia, absolutely as well. I'm not even sure. Are they, because you can't go to Australia, but can they leave? Um, they Well, they could leave, but they would have to quarantine right. to get here. And those visas are not being issued. So, oh. you know, the, the, but the part that we can do in British Columbia is work with our provincial government. Mm-hmm. There's a program called the P&P, and that is a program where people in our profession and other professions want to make Canada or British Columbia their new home, Mm -hmm. and they come with the skills that are needed. And that program, in our opinion, needs to be ramped up, and we need to really partner with our provincial government to make sure that uh, that access to the workforce and, you know, all the economy in every community is supported. How do you ramp it up? What's involved in that? 
Well, federally, we have our partners with Tourism HR Canada. Mm -hmm. Provincially, we have our partners with GoToHR and then other, you know, the the, um, the foreign worker visas. I mean, there's so many different pieces to this labor shortage. But what we really do need, anybody currently that's unemployed, we'd love you to come to work. And then the other part of it is we need to work hand-in-hand with government to develop a strategy and make sure that we're addressing each of those different avenues for for workers. What are the other hotel associations? Obviously, this is a BC problem, but probably a problem in other provinces. Are you working together to lobby the federal government to move faster, perhaps, on allowing people to come and get into Canada faster? And right now, the pandemic is on hopefully on the way out, uh, but it yeah, seems like the border absolutely. crossing seems to be the slowest thing that we're getting decided on. I heard today that in Europe they're starting to allow Canadians to go there, um, but uh, how are you and your, your partners across Canada pushing the federal government to move faster? Well, we certainly have very strong partners with the Hotel Association of Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm involved on that uh, with that work on the board and also our federal counterparts. And I can tell you, we are strongly advocating that the uh, U.S. border be opened Mm -hmm. and then that we have a strategy for other countries that have been responsible, as we have, in dealing with the pandemic. In addition to that, certainly the Ministry of Immigration, we are working hand-in-hand at the federal level with them. And then our provincial government needs to advocate for right. them and support the so, work that we're doing. So put some pressure on the premier and, and the minister responsible, I suppose, exactly. which would be two or yep. three ministers, I think, responsible for your industry. Yes. Um, and that challenge with the opening up the borders, though, is you end up with getting more people coming to travel here who can't stay at hotels that have no staff. So it's a bit of a, unless you have a lot of Americans working in the industry, do you? Well, we certainly we certainly do. I mean, there's many people who, you know, have, are both citizens in the U.S. and Canada, mm-hmm. There's many that would have visas that would still be eligible. Um, the U.S. historically is not uh, one of our biggest uh, working holiday visa recipients. Mm-hmm. And those other countries, as you said, Ireland, England, Australia, um, you know, many of them, uh, normally many, many young people from those countries come. And they mm-hmm. really, you know, British Columbia in Canada even is the most sought after province. And so as we're now opened up to domestic travel across Canada, mm-hmm. it's even more important that we get that support from the federal government and the provincial government to address the workforce shortage. In the short term, where can people go if they want to work in the industry? Is there a website they can simply go to to find out more about the jobs? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Yes, go to hr.com is our provincial um, easy, human resource easy. website. They okay. have a job board that's yeah. uh, G O. HR.com. There's a job board there. Mm-hmm. And then any of the other ones, H Careers, which means hospitalitycareers.com, Kijiji. Um, there's, there's jobs. Lots of jobs on there. Literally in every community right now. All right. I appreciate it, Ingrid. That's uh, really helpful. And uh, good luck. And hopefully we'll see some changes from the federal government to get some people move, getting into Canada to take care of our hotels. Thank you so much. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett, and my next guest really needs no introduction, but I think you might be surprised what else we're going to talk about beyond the obvious. Ross Ripley is a Canadian Olympic gold medalist snowboarder from 1998's Nagano Olympics, but infamous infamous also for testing positive for cannabis at those Olympics. Uh, Ross joins me now. Hi, Ross. Hey, George. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me. Before we get talking about uh, the recent decision regarding track star Shikari Richardson, I understand you have deep roots in Lytton. That's correct. 
Um, my family, my dad is from Lytton. Wow. So what do you, what's going through your family's minds right now? Like, that's crazy. What's going on there? Yeah. Well, it was a big shocker. You know, we just came off of world record setting uh, temperatures mm-hmm. in, for Canada and Lytton. And, you know, we were watching that already. And then, um, you know, our family actually just took the kids out to, uh, with the family to see my, my dad's uh, house that he grew up in last summer. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty shocking and yeah, my dad's, you know, pretty emotional about mm-hmm. it as well. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of emotions. Uh, there's also like a, a, a small community right now that's not looking too good. You know, it was already just kind of clinging on to existence uh, yeah. out there in the desert. So, and of course, um, you know, since he was there a long time, he's not there now, I assume, but, uh, you know, the house is probably gone and he knows, mm-hmm. people, I'm sure he knows lots of people in that community. It's probably leveled and, uh, yeah, he knows quite a few people there, including First Nations. And, uh, so it's, it, it would definitely, you know, coming out of the, the last couple of years and a heat wave and, and now mm-hmm. this, and, and there's more to come over the summer and, um, you know, the whole, also the tie into reconciliation and the First Nations and Lytton. Um, it's just been a tough year uh, yeah. for everybody and for Canadians in general. Totally. You're in Naramata now. You're in the Okanagan living, right? That's right. How are things there? Are they tense with, uh, with this weather and with this, uh, these fire concerns and obviously the Okanagan? Yeah, well, we've already witnessed um, three fires here, just one above Naramata a couple of weeks ago and then two out in Peachland last weekend. Um, they quickly got those put out, but, you know, we have a front row seat here on the lake and, um, yeah, the tensions are, are high as usual. Um, yeah. you know, this is part of summer now and, um, mm-hmm. we have to start looking at, you know, global warming and climate change, um, um, a lot more, seriously. you know, in a, in a real, yeah, a lot more seriously. Yeah. I mean, I was up in the Okanagan twice and it was just smacked in with, with uh, smoke and you couldn't see anything. And so, you know, it's, it's disappointing and scary and, you know, it looks like that's where we're heading again for the summer, which, you know, in, in Vancouver we get the same. It's just tragic. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk Olympics. Track star Shakari Richardson is suspended from the Olympics after uh, failing a marijuana test. And she seems to be coming to terms with it because, but does it surprise you that this would happen? Uh, it's a, it's just, it's too bad that it, that it's still happening. Um, I think that it's not a surprise just for one reason only, and that's that cannabis is becoming a bigger part of our culture here in, in, uh, North America mm-hmm. and other places around the world. And the laws are reflecting that here in Canada. Um, America is a couple of steps away from following, you know, in, in our footsteps there as well at a, at a federal level. Um, and so, you know, what happened to me was a, a secondhand situation where I, mm-hmm. I wasn't actually um, smoking weed myself. But, um, you know, so this could be exactly a situation like what happened to me where she may not have actually been smoking weed. It could have been from passive smoke. I mean, like I said, it is a bigger part of our, our culture than it, than it used to be. And it's growing, you know, quite quickly. And you know, cannabis is, a, you know, and it's a healthy choice. For, for for anybody, including athletes, well, especially for, for athletes, yeah, for injuries and things like that, there seems to be lots of lots of evidence that that works really well. It doesn't really work. Does it work as, a, as an enhancement drug, though? Well, it's subjective. I mean, to me, it it, it did because 
um, the mundane things in, in an athlete's life um, all of a sudden become more interesting and fun and um, you can see it from a different perspective. Like, for example, going to the gym, you know, constantly every day for years and years, like a, over a decade. Um, you know, it's not something that you think about during competition or, or before or after, like immediately at, at all. It's not one of those substances where there's an addiction that, that comes with it. It's not like I'm just going to use cigarettes as an example. Even if you're trying not to smoke, like if there's an addiction, it's kind of hard but um, so with cannabis, it's easier for the athletes to go on and off cannabis and use it during training as far as topical creams that are infused with THC or CBD that are huge anti-inflammatories and painkillers. Mm-hmm. Um, the science and the, the, the scientific studies that have come out since Nagano, since I was there, actually, um, there's hundreds of them that back this up scientifically, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's, it's fact now. Wasn't just me saying it 23 years ago, and um, so it's it's time for the IOC to, to take the responsibility and catch to be up to leaders. What's going on, yeah. I mean, most countries are allowing it now, so it seems like they have to catch up. Yeah, and I, it's not about the laws of the world. You know, it's about the right thing to do, and and um, and for them to to go ahead and you know be a leader. But it sounds like she won't be able to. She's she's come to terms with the fact that she's done. She's got a month suspension, and the, the Olympics are in three weeks. Yeah, it, we'll see how that plays out. It could be a month suspension and outside of IOC competition, or it might include it. Um, there, I believe it hasn't been officially said okay. by the IOC. This is just coming out of the U.S. team so far, as far as I understand it. Um, in Rio, they decided not to test for cannabis, so there could be, um, there's still an opportunity right now for the IOC to um, overturn this this decision if if there has been one made against um, against the athlete. I mean, so yeah, we'll just wait and see. And and unfortunately, um, you know, this is at the expense of another another person, mm-hmm. but this will definitely lend itself to the normality of cannabis. Um, and which would intuitively be against what the IOC is trying to convey by having it on the list of banned substances. Because arguably, you could say it's not performance enhancing. You know, our bodies are supposed to have cannabinoids in our bodies. We have an endocannabinoid system that's part of it. It's one of our biggest organs of our body. And so to have cannabis our cannabinoids topped up isn't performance enhancing. That's just optimal performance that we should already be operating at. But because of prohibition, mm-hmm. we've been running at a cannabinoid deficiency, just like any other vitamin deficiency, um, vitamin D, vitamin C, those all lead to, um, you know, major complications. And as far as cannabinoids are concerned, that leads to anxiety, depression, um, all kinds of other um, things that we deal with uh, in our society. Um, so, sorry, there was some noise there. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, because you went through this, for her, what was it like, uh, the, what, must she, what must she be feeling right now? You, obviously, you were had won the, the gold, and then suddenly you were faced with this rever- you know, this decision, and then a reversal. Emotional roller coaster, I imagine. Yeah, it's long-lasting, too. I mean, it, it's a different era now than it used to be, and so there will be more support uh, for for her now than there was at the time for me. But um, having said that, you know, it's dark days ahead. There's a lot of fallout that happens 
um, sponsorship wise, right. career opportunity wise, leading, you know, moving forward. And, um, you know, you always think the worst case scenario too. So, you know, it all depends on who's around her, what, who she has, who her team is and, um, you know, the support, the, her support group. Um, you know, that will be the, a big thing. It's just a terrible situation for an athlete at this, this mm-hmm. level to have to go through. There's so much that goes into self-sacrifice that already goes into it. She, she's probably not drinking alcohol just for the calories and to make weight and to be a fast sprinter. And so there's only a few things that are good for you naturally that an athlete can use to sort of, um, take the edge off at the end of the day. And And if um, they find alcohol in your blood, there's no problem, right? Oh, you can have, there's, there's a beer gardens in the athlete's village. (laughs) So there's a certain hypocrisy I would imagine with that. Um, Oh, there's all it, you know, and let's just be real about this. It's, It's, uh, prohibition was was it came out of racism and and you know it in this day and age this it has to be brought up it's not this isn't against shakari uh, as a black woman but the fact that it's on the list of banned substances and the fact that cannabis prohibition exists in the first place mm-hmm. was based in racist uh concepts to control the black slaves in america after they were freed mm-hmm. so um, you know, it's we're still coming back to, you know, Black Lives Matter and the whole mm. um, movement that we're working through also within First Nations here in Canada and reconciliation. And it's really, a, there's a broader conversation about cannabis and about why it's it's the, the prohibition of cannabis, why the prohibition of cannabis, mm-hmm. cannabis is. And so I think it's pertinent to, to bring that up. One uh, last question is three weeks away to the Olympics. What's going through the minds of the athletes? You remember, if you can remember way back to that time when you were young and going to the Olympics, how were you feeling just a few weeks out of the Olympics and the big day and the, and the sense that was going through you at that time? It's a combination of severe anxiety and, <laughs> and jubilation. I mean, you're for the athletes that are going for the first time, especially, um, this is a dream come true, something mm-hmm. that they've been working towards for their entire lives. Um, in many cases, they'll be competing against their idols and their heroes. Um, you know, the the thought that you could possibly um, place in the top three and get a medal is it's unthinkable. And, and even to imagine winning a gold medal, just you lose sleep over it. And, um, you know, it, it's definitely, you can't put it into words. It's, it's one of those things. All right, Ross, thanks very much for taking the time to join me today. Appreciate it. Thank you.